different people. A very famous convert to Christianity was a guy named Constantine in the 300s who was emperor of the Roman Empire. That was a very famous conversion. But this one's more famous than that. This is a guy by the name of Saul. And I want to give you just a little background on this fella. If you know much about the Bible, you know that this guy named Saul is going to turn out to be the Apostle Paul who wrote very much of the New Testament of your Bible. He was probably the most effective evangelist that's ever lived. But his story didn't start out that way. This man Saul was born in Tarsus and he was raised in Jerusalem and he was educated in the ways of the Jewish religion, the Pharisees, a very, very strict sect of religious people. These were the religious people who really, really, really believed in the literal interpretation of the Bible. I mean, they were as conservative as you can get. They were very conservative. They were so conservative, in fact, that not only don't you do the things God says don't do, but you don't do all these other things either that might even look like it or might even get close. I mean, they were very conservative. And Paul was a champion of this. He was what you might call a rising star in the religious circles. He was going to be a leader. Everybody knew that. He was of the tribe of Benjamin. If you remember back, Benjamin, the youngest of Abraham, not Abraham's sons, the youngest of Jacob's sons. And he was of that tribe, and he had a fervor and a zeal and a commitment to God. I mean, he wanted, he loved the law of God, and he wanted that to just, he wanted everybody to do that. This man had such zeal and such excitement about the law of God that he absolutely hated this new sect of Jews called Christians. Christians began to teach and Christianity began to spread after Jesus was killed. In Acts chapter 2, Peter began to preach in Jerusalem. And I want you to know the apostle or this guy named Saul at the time did not like that one bit. And he took it as his personal goal to stomp this out. I mean, he was going to end it. He was going to stop it. And I want you to read with me here in Acts chapter 9 because the amazing thing that happens here is the Apostle Paul goes from being the worst enemy of Christianity to being the greatest advocate of Christianity. And we're going to see the story of how this occurs. Acts chapter 9 verse 1. It says, and Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, whether they be men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. Now, what's happened is they have just killed a guy named Stephen who was a gospel preacher. And Saul was a key player in this deal. Saul was a guy who was standing there. The people who actually threw the stones and killed Stephen laid their clothes at Saul's feet showing that he was in charge of what was going on there. He was sanctioning that. He wanted to kill people who were Christians. He was scattering the church, we read in Acts chapter 8. said his pressure against the church was so strong that all the Christians that were there in Jerusalem started scattering and going to different towns. Now, 
we can't really identify with that here much in America, can we? I mean, I know people laugh about Christianity on TV, and you may know people who mock you because you're a Christian, but can you imagine if this week in Amarillo, somebody who had great prominence in this area got a bunch of cops and they started kicking down the doors of Christians and arresting them and killing some of them? Can you imagine what would happen? What would you do? Well, I imagine you'd do just like most of the New Testament Christians did. You'd run, wouldn't you, if somebody's trying to kill you? That's what I'd do. I'd try, to get, I'd try to get out of here. I'd call my wife and I'd say, Honey, I'm headed home. We've got people to save down around Dallas where they're not killing Christians. They spread all over the world, the Christians did. Paul was so frustrated at this because here he's trying to kill it, trying to stomp it out, and as he stomps on it, the flames just spread, and all of a sudden Christianity's everywhere because the people who left, everywhere they went, they preached about Jesus. And so Paul says, you know what, this has got to stop. I'm going to chase them down. And so he is heading to Damascus. And I want you to notice here, he's breathing out threatening and slaughter. That means I'm going to kill them. Every one of them. And he says that he asked for the high priest to give him letters of authority so that he could arrest not just the men, but the women. Bring them back to Jerusalem. Now notice what happens. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. And he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Lord, who art thou? And the Lord said unto him, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. I want you just for a moment to put yourself in Saul's place. You have been persecuting and killing the followers of this man Jesus. And you're on your way to arrest some more of them. And all of a sudden there's a light so bright... It, it blinds you. And he says, Lord, he hears a voice. Why are you persecuting me? And he says, Lord, who is this? And the voice says, I'm Jesus. Did you ever get caught doing something that you shouldn't do? Yeah, you have, haven't you? I, I know what that's like. You know how you get that sick feeling in the pit of your stomach that you just got caught? You know what I'm talking about? Can you imagine the sick feeling that Saul had at that moment? I, I can't in my wildest dreams imagine. I'm sure he expected at that moment to just be struck dead. But here's what he heard instead. And he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what will you have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise, and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. And the men which journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no man. And Saul arose from the earth, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no man, but they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. Now it's 146 miles from Jerusalem to Damascus. That's a long way to walk to get somebody you don't like, isn't it? He gets up 
And he opens his eyes and he can't see a thing. He's blind. Now I can imagine in his mind, I know I would think, well, this is the least I deserve for what I've been doing. He said, Lord, what do you want me to do? I'll do it. You just tell me, Lord. Lord says, you go on into Damascus. You go to Damascus and you wait there and I'll send somebody and they'll tell you what to do. And it says, Saul arose from the earth, verse 8, and his eyes were opened. He saw no man, but they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was three days without sight and neither did eat nor drink. So he goes into Damascus and for three days Saul fasts. Have you ever fasted? You know what fasting is? It's when you don't eat. Saul didn't eat or drink. After a few hours, my belly starts growling. You know, after a day or so, I just get weak and nervous and shaky. And He fasted for three days. Why do you think he did that? Because he was pretty serious about something changing, wasn't he? I mean, he was convicted. He was committed. You know, I've baptized a lot of people through the years. I don't think I've ever baptized anybody that fasted for three days before they were baptized. I mean, this guy was converted. If anybody was ever converted, wasn't he? No doubt about it. Now let's go ahead here. Verse 10. And there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him the Lord, and to him said the Lord in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Behold, I am here, Lord. And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the street which is called Straight, and inquire in the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he prayeth, and hath seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him, that he might receive his sight. So God appears to this disciple in Damascus, one of the guys that Saul was on his way to arrest, and he says, Saul, or he says, Ananias. And Ananias says, Yeah, what do you want, Lord? He says, I want you to go and find this guy, Saul of Tarsus, because he's praying. Now, does that surprise you that he's praying? Doesn't surprise me. He's been praying and fasting and blind for three days since he heard who Jesus was. Now, look at Ananias' response, verse 13. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard by many of this man how much evil he has done to thy saints at Jerusalem. And here he hath authority from the chief priest to bind all that call on thy name. Ananias says, now, are we talking about the same guy, Lord? <laughs> Do you know who this guy is? Just, I mean, I know you're the Lord, but just as a reminder, this guy's killed a bunch of people, and he's after us, Lord. You really want me to go see him? But the Lord said to him, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me, to bear my name before Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. He says, yes. I've chosen him. He's a special chosen vessel. And he's going to suffer a lot for my name's sake. He's going to preach about me before Gentiles and before kings. He is going to tell the children of Israel about me. I want you to go preach to him. 
And Ananias went his way and entered into the house, and putting his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord, even Jesus, that appeared to thee in the way that as thou camest, has sent me that thou mightest receive thy sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. So he goes and he finds the house, and there's Saul, and he walks in and he says, Saul, Jesus, the one that appeared to you on the way, sent me to talk to you. He sent me to tell you, or to, so you could receive your sight, and so that you could receive the Holy Spirit. Verse 18, And immediately there fell from his eyes as it had been scales, and he received sight forthwith, and arose and was baptized. And when he had received meat, he was strengthened. Then was Saul certain days with the disciples which were at Damascus. So he tells him that I've come and I'm going to heal you and you're going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And he puts his hand on him and scales, it was like scales, like fish scales maybe that fell out of his eyes and all of a sudden he could see. And he ate and he stayed with the disciples. And look at the very next verse, verse 20. And straightway he preached Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. You know what, that's a converted man, isn't it? I mean, he came to Damascus to arrest Christians, and he gets up and he goes right into the middle of the Jews who were expecting him to come to get rid of the Christians and starts telling them about Jesus Christ. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that wonderful? There's a little more to this story, though, that I want to look at. First, I want to go through, though, some of the things that we've noticed about Saul. I want to call your attention to this. Number one, he received a personal visit from Jesus. Now, let me ask you a question. Have you ever received a personal visit from Jesus? Has He ever appeared to you? I'm just going to be honest with you right now. He's never, never appeared to me. Never personally spoken to me in an audible voice that I can hear. It's never happened. Did to this guy. Jesus came and talked to him. And Jesus said, you're a chosen vessel. God had chosen this man. And Jesus talked to him. You know what else we know about this guy? We know this guy believed him. This guy believed in Jesus, didn't he? Is there any doubt in your mind that he believed in Jesus? Any doubt at all? He's a believer. If anybody was a believer, it was this guy from this point on, right? In fact, one way we know he was a believer is that he immediately confesses him. He said, Lord, who are you? And he said, I'm Jesus. And he said, Lord, what would you have me to do? He immediately confesses Jesus Christ as Lord. That's a pretty good thing, isn't it? He goes on into Damascus. Now, we've got a guy who's been chosen by God He's received a personal visit from Jesus. He believes in Jesus. He's confessed Jesus. He goes into Damascus. God sends an inspired man to come preach to him. Have you ever had an inspired man preach to you? Not tonight. (laughs) An inspired man came and preached to him, especially sent by Jesus. And he spends three days fasting and praying. That's quite a description of this guy. I mean, do you know any Christians that are better than that? Do you know any Christians that have any higher pedigree than that? Now Paul, 
tells this story himself again over in Acts chapter 22. In fact, this conversion is so important, it's told three times in the New Testament. And I believe there's some things that God wants us to learn from this. Now I want you to learn something with me here in Acts chapter 22. Acts chapter 22, and we'll pick up the story in about... This is Paul telling the story. Verse 12. It says, And one Ananias, a devout man according to the law, having a good report of all the Jews which dwelt there, came unto me, and stood and said unto me, Brother Saul, receive thy sight. And the same hour I looked upon him. So here he's telling about Ananias coming and healing his eyes. And he said, The God of our fathers has chosen thee, that thou shouldest hear the voice of his mouth, For thou shalt be a witness unto all men of what thou hast seen and heard. He said, God chose you, and you're going to tell everybody what you've seen and heard. Now, notice this next verse. Verse 16. And now, why tarriest thou? Do you know what why tarriest thou means? Why tarriest? That means, what are you waiting for? What are you waiting on? What's he want him to do? Look at this. Why tarriest thou? Arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. You know, one thing that we hadn't mentioned yet, Saul hadn't yet been baptized. It's been three days and he's been praying and fasting. He's been chosen by God. He's received a miracle now. His eyes have been healed. He got a personal visit from Jesus. An inspired man comes and preaches, but he still hadn't been baptized. And notice what it says about this here. He says, Arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins. Now I want you to think about that. This guy who was chosen by God, received a miracle, spoken to by Jesus, fasted and prayed, believed and confessed, still has his sins. He has to wash away his sins. You might say, well, preacher, why are you making a big deal out of that? Why does that matter? I mean, he'd already been chosen by God, right? Why does it matter? Because Scripture tells us the wages of sin is death. Jesus said, if you die in your sins where I go, you cannot come. Sin matters. Scripture tells us that your sins and your iniquities have separated between you and your God, that He will not hear you. What that means is, here stands God, and here stands me, and right in the middle is my sin, and it separates me from God if I have sin. That's true of you, it's true of me, and it's true of this guy named Saul. And here three days later, after talking to Jesus and believing and praying and confessing and all the things that went on, three days later, this man still has his sins. And they need to be washed away. Now, when I think about this, one of the things I notice here in verse 16 is he says, wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. So notice, he says, be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. And somebody says, Amen, brother. You know, the Apostle Paul preached this message. The very message that he was told by Ananias right here. You go to Romans chapter 10 and verse 13. He said, whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Do you believe that? Amen? 
I believe that. Whoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Now, I have a question for you though. How do you call on the name of the Lord? Somebody says, oh, I know. I know because i got a little track. And in the back of that track, it has four spiritual laws. And you read through those four spiritual laws and you get to the end and it says, you need to call on the name of the Lord. And it quotes Romans 10, 17, or 10, 13. You need to call on the name of the Lord. And then it says, the way you do that is you say this prayer. Jesus, I confess to You that I'm a sinner and I ask You to come into my heart. And I believe that You have washed away my sins. Da-da-da-da-da-da. And then the rest of the four spiritual laws say now you need to go find a believing, a Bible-believing church and be baptized and these other things. Is that the way you call on the name of the Lord? Did you know the Bible tells us how to call on the name of the Lord? It does. You know, you can read the Bible from cover to cover and not one place, anywhere, anytime was anyone told to call on the name of the Lord by saying a prayer. In fact, think about Saul. He's been praying for three days, hasn't he? It wasn't that he hadn't prayed yet. (laughs) He's been praying. I mean, he's been fasting and praying seriously for three days. Well, how do we call on the name of the Lord? There's two places in the Bible that tell us how to call on the name of the Lord. And I want to look at those. Acts chapter 2. Why don't you turn with me? Acts chapter 2. The very first gospel sermon. The apostle Peter stands up and begins to preach to these people. And in Acts chapter 2 and verse 21, the apostle Peter says this, And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now that's a quote out of the Old Testament. And he quotes that verse and he says, this is the day that that prophecy was about. And he says, you by wicked hands have taken and killed the Son of God. He came, He was Jesus, and He lived here with you and you killed Him. And the prophets talked about this day. And they told about the day that God would pour out His Spirit on mankind. And whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And that Jesus that you killed, the one that you crucified, the one that David talked about, God has raised Him up and He sits on the right hand of the Father now. And when those people heard that word, that message, you know what they did? If you know your Bible very well, you know. Look down in verse 37. It says, Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? They heard they've killed Jesus. They need to be saved. They understand about their sin. They need to be right. Peter stands up and preaches and he said, you call on the name of the Lord to be saved. And they go, okay, what do we do? Isn't this the perfect opportunity for Jesus to give them the four spiritual laws? Or Peter to give them that? Isn't this the perfect opportunity for Him to say, here's the prayer that you need to pray to be saved. Because He told them, Call on the name of the Lord to be saved. And they said, how? What do we do? Look at his answer, verse 38. Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. You see, the way he told them in Acts chapter 2 to call on the name of the Lord was to repent and be baptized. That's what he said to do. Now, 
We read in Acts chapter 22 and verse 16 what Ananias told Saul. Told him the same thing, didn't he? He said, what are you waiting for? Get up and be baptized and wash away your sins calling on the name of the Lord. You see, the only places in the Bible that it tells us what people did to call on the name of the Lord, both of them say to be baptized. Now you might say if you're like me, well, that, that just seems kind of strange because that's not the way I wouldn't call it. I wouldn't use those words. I wouldn't say call on the name of the Lord by being baptized. I know our terminology sometimes is a little different. But what that means is not that I'm yelling out to God, please save me. What that means is I'm calling on God to keep His promise to wash away my sins. Somebody says, well, how do you know that's what that's talking about, preacher? In Colossians chapter 2, if you look with me there, Colossians chapter 2, this same Apostle Paul is preaching, and he explains the baptism that he underwent. He says, we are buried with Him in baptism, wherein also you are risen with Him through the faith of the operation of God who has raised, you, raised Him from the dead. And you being dead in your sins and uncircumcision of your flesh, has He quickened together with Him, having forgiven you all trespasses. Now, he's describing baptism here and he's explaining it. Notice what he says. He says, you're buried with Him in baptism and you're raised through what? Faith in what? The operation of God. Well, what operation of God? What operation is God doing when you're baptized? Is God doing anything when you're baptized? He certainly is. Look at the next verse. And you being dead in your sins, so we've got somebody who's dead in sins when they're baptized, and the uncircumcision of your flesh has He quickened. Now that word quickened means made alive. If you look in the New King James translation or some of the newer translations, it's translated made alive. That's what that word means. He quickened or made them alive. Having forgiven you all trespasses. You see, when... when I was baptized. That's not something that I can brag about. It's not something that I, well, you know, I was baptized. It's not anything like that. All that is is an act of humble submission to the will of God. What I'm saying is God told me that the blood of His Son would wash away my sins and that He would, he would forgive me when I was baptized. That's what He told me in the Bible. And when I say, yes, Father, I believe that, I am calling on Him to keep His promise in my baptism. Now, brothers and sisters, the reason this is important is there are a lot of religious people in the world today who will tell you, oh, no, 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 baptism doesn't have anything to do with being saved. It doesn't have anything to do with washing away your sins. What you need to do to be saved is you need to call on the name of the Lord. But what's... The, the, oxy, or the, the confusing thing about that is really the way we call on the name of the Lord is by being baptized. And people don't understand that. I want to make sure tonight that you do understand that. This man made a tremendous impact for the kingdom of God. 
This man converted thousands upon thousands. This man wrote much of the Bible, the New Testament that you have. But this man, chosen by God, received a miracle, believed, confessed, fasted and prayed, and still had his sins until he was baptized. It's important for you to understand that, and let me tell you why. Because you need to be baptized. If you haven't been baptized, you're still in your sins. You see, baptism, there's water back here. There's nothing magic about that water. It's not holy water, so to speak. It's just water. It's the blood of Jesus. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7, He says the blood of Christ washes away our sins. What baptism really is, is when. It's not what. Baptism is when God keeps His promise and does His operation and washes away your sins with the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, we know the story of Paul. Paul immediately submitted to that. He arose straightway and he was baptized. And the next day he begins preaching about Jesus in the synagogue. And he spent the rest of his life preaching about Jesus. My question tonight for you is this, what about you? Have you believed like Saul did? You say, oh yes, I believe. I believe Jesus is God's Son. I hope you do because He is. Jesus is the Son of the living God. Do you believe enough you'll confess that? You'll stand in front of these people or anybody else and say, yeah, I believe Jesus is God's Son. If you won't do that, Jesus said He'll deny you before the Father. If you deny Him, you've got to be willing to confess Him. See, if you really, really believe in Him, You've got to be willing to say you believe in Him. Do you believe in Him enough to change your life for Him? That's what repent means. Repent means turn around. It means I was going this way and I was doing this and now I'm not anymore and I'm going to go this way and do this. You've got to change your mind about God and serving Him. You've got to change your mind about Jesus. That's what Saul did. He changed his mind about Jesus. And he turned his life around. Do you have those three things? You say, yeah, yeah, I do. My last question I would ask you is, have you been baptized? If not, you need to be. That's why that story's in the Bible three times. That's why it's explained to us. That's when God washes away your sins. And at this time in the service, we're going to have a song of invitation. A lot of times, when we have an invitation song, the preacher right before that, he'll say, we don't know the hearts and minds of those that are here. You know why preachers say that? Because we don't know the hearts and minds of those that are here. I don't know what you're thinking right now. You may be thinking, man, I'm glad this one's almost over. You may be thinking, wonder what we're going to do after church tonight. I hope we can go get ice cream. You may be thinking, you know what? I do believe in Jesus. I do believe in God. I do, I'm willing to confess Him. I want to serve Him but have not yet been baptized. And you may be thinking, you know what? I need to have my sins washed away. If you're thinking that tonight, we offer you that opportunity. There's water here. The water's ready. There's no embarrassment to be had. There's no humiliation. There's no difficulty. All you'll have is people rejoicing with you and God rejoicing that you've called on Him to keep His promise and forgive you of your sins. If you have that need, will you come to the front while we stand and sing? Oh God.